You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here. In late July 2021, I had the opportunity to interview Justin Langer. He was very generous with his time and we had an hour together while he was on tour with the team in the West Indies. It was also soon after the first reports of discomfort about his intense style had emerged from some of the players via the media. When we finished the interview, we talked a little bit about intensity, about what it meant and why it was not necessarily a bad thing given the brief he had been given to repair the team culture and return the team back to its winning ways. The team went on to win the T20 World Cup and retain the Ashes, beating England 4-0 in Australia. By any measure, this was surely a sign that the team was doing well. It was a shock then, when he was only offered a 12-month contract by Cricket Australia in January 2022. The reports were that the players wanted a more calm and composed presence as a coach. Last week, I heard John Buchanan, the former Australian cricket coach, who led the team to win three consecutive World Cups, as well as a world record 16 consecutive test victories, speak about the role of the coach. And I thought it summed up perfectly why Justin was so successful. Definitely the role of the coach, and has been over time for ad infinitum, is is to be very challenging of people about values, principles, work ethics, professionalism, whatever the words are that you want to use. And be direct with that. And I think we see a lot of probably modern day cricketers or young people when faced with some of those harder questions about themselves and about their capabilities, that it's a a difficult conversation for them. But I think they're difficult conversations that should be had, should be had earlier in their careers and not necessarily, from Justin's point of view or the head coach's point of view, be left right to the time that they enter that international arena for questions to be asked of them. They need to be asked well before that. And that's why, again, I guess I question Cricket Australia's high-performance system and and hope that they uh, are reviewing their system just as much as they are reviewing Justin or the head coach's uh, role. And so if you're afraid of having direct conversations, if you're afraid of what uh, might leak out of the dressing room because of what you've said of what you've done or or some of your behaviours, then I think it's a very, very difficult place for any coach to be. In light of this, I thought it was a good time to revisit the interview with Justin. We can never know what the team environment was like, but we can view the results, listen to Justin's words, and one of those of his players, Usman Khawaja, who said, quote, he brought humility back to the Australian team. I know what we played like before he was coach, and I know what we played like when he was coach. End quote. And we can use this to form an opinion 
of just what the role of a coach is. I hope you enjoyed this the second time round as much as I did. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is the Australian cricket coach, Justin Langer. Justin represented Australia in 105 test matches and in 2009 surpassed Sir Donald Bradman for the most runs scored at first-class level by an Australian. He retired in 2009 and transitioned into coaching, first as the Australian team batting coach before becoming the head coach of Western Australia in 2012. Over the next six years, he led the team to victory in the One Day Cup in 2015 and back-to-back Big Bash victories in 2014 and 2015. In 2018, he was appointed coach of the Australian men's team and led them to an Ashes victory in 2019, their first on English soil since 2001. Justin is an authentic leader and believes that great team cultures have an environment where people are allowed to be themselves. He blends physicality and spirituality in his approach to life and brings both into his coaching philosophy and is driven by the desire to not only lead a successful cricket team, but also to make Australians proud of the team. He is also a coach with a strong set of ethical principles, but also as a father of four, he understands that you can't treat all your children the same. And so sometimes you have to be flexible to connect with an individual and help them realize their potential. Some of the key parts of this interview that resonated with me were the role that mentors have played in his life and the stories he shares about the times these people have given him advice that has changed his mindset and behaviours. How he describes the values of the Australian cricket team being honesty, professionalism, humility, learning and mateship and how it's the last one mateship that glues the team together. And how great leaders are clear on the path the team is going to take and how ongoing, honest conversations ensure that the team continues to stay true to this path. This interview left me inspired and self-reflective, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. So Justin Langer, good afternoon and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hey, Paul, thanks for the invitation. It's uh, when you talked about interviewing people like Rick Charlesworth and some of the other great coaches that you have, it was uh, really nice to be invited to talk to you. Well, the pleasure is all ours, especially as right now, well, actually, I won't tell everybody where you are. I'll ask you, Justin, where are you in the world and what have you been up to in the last 24 hours? I'm actually in St. Lucia in the West Indies and we're playing a T20 competition against out of the West Indies. We go in a, we've got one more game in this series, then we go to Barbados, and then we fly from Barbados to Bangladesh. So I say this with great respect and compassion, but I've actually really enjoyed the COVID period. The only thing I haven't enjoyed about it is COVID because for the year before COVID hit us, I spent 300 days on the road away from my family. And I had this probably 12-month period where I was home the whole time. And my gosh, it was so much fun. Like, living what I'd say in adverted commas, a normal life. It was brilliant. But now I'm back on the road. And when we get home, we've got two weeks quarantine in Australia. Then we've got a World Cup coming up. And then we've got the Ashes next summer. And then we go straight to Pakistan. And then it's all keeps going. So, yeah, there's uh, I'm in St. Lucia now. And I try and stay in St. Lucia because if I look too far ahead, it gets pretty tiring and a bit scary, really. Well, I hope not to scare you for the next hour as we go through sort of leadership and how it applies to to coaching the Australian cricket team. But Justin, maybe if I could start just winding the clock back a bit, because when you look at your history, you've had exposure, direct, indirect, you've met some of the world's great coaches. And I'm just going to talk some of the Australian ones to start with. Bob Simpson, John Buchanan, Andy Hurry, the Englishman, 
Mick Malthouse, Adam Simpson, multiple sports, different perspectives. And of course, I know you met Kevin Sheedy there once too, and Sir Alex Ferguson. But from this perspective, what is it you think that great coaches do differently that sets them apart? One thing I'll say, I would not be here talking to you today without incredible mentors in my life. And if I could give people one bit of advice at any age, have a curious mind and and search for mentors. And a lot of people, the mistake they make is they think they already know it all and they don't ask questions. And I've said this for many, many years. I hope in the last day of my coaching career, I still consider myself as a novice coach. In other words, I hope I'm still learning. And, and I do have incredible mentors around me. We mentioned Rick Charlesworth before. We've had a few things going on in Australian cricket. And I was able to get on the phone to him and go and have a coffee with him in Subiaco in Perth. And we sat down and we talked for two hours. And it was just to be able to talk to people. The reason I love talking to head coaches is because they actually understand what you're going through. A lot of people think they understand. I remember an assistant coach said to me, a few years ago, he goes, oh, listen, mate, I know what you're going through, but, and I said, mate, you got no idea what I'm going through. And it's really funny because before being a head coach, I was an assistant coach. And I say this quite often, when you're an assistant coach, it's the best job in the world. You're everyone's best mate. You work about three hours a day and you've got zero accountability. When you become head coach, you work about 20 hours a day. No one likes you and you are got 100% accountability. So who's the mug? Head coach and leadership is incredibly satisfying. And to finish on this, that question, one of the greatest bits of advice I was given when I first became a head coach was actually from Kevin Sheedy, the great Essendon coach, the iconic head coach of Essendon AFL footy club. And I was at the WACA, the West Australian Cricket Ground, and he was there with a book. And it was my, I think it was my first day as the coach of West Australia. And he said to me, son, what I want you to do tonight is go home, get your journal out and write down all the best coaches you've had in your life from since junior cricket or junior footy or right through till Bobby Simpson, John Buchanan. I said, okay. And he said, and what I want you to do is I want you to write down all their strengths. I said, okay. He said, because what will happen then will be the recipe for the sort of coach you become. You take all the strengths of the great coaches you've ever been involved with, the great mentors, and that's the sort of you'll become a great coach. So it was brilliant advice. Again, I'd share that with anyone listening to this. If you think about the great coaches, the great leaders, the great men that you've actually rubbed shoulders with, write down their strengths and mould that into the sort of coach or leader you want to become. Oh, I'd love to see that list one day, Justin. Oh, well, it was so funny because I've still got the little red moleskin journal that I wrote it in. And it started off, I said, oh, that'd be easy. And now it's just, I could write a book. At the end of my career, I could write a book from just that first question that Kevin Sheedy asked me because I've had some of these amazing, you know, the list is extraordinary. It goes back to my, I remember as silly as this sounds, my under 10 cricket coach, Alan Abraham, right? He was so passionate and so he loved it so much. And he was said all this, I think he had a bit of a crush on my mum, which always worried us a bit, but he had this energy and this smile and I'm still in touch with him today. I talked about my year 11 economics teacher, Rod Omar, my economics teacher when I was 16 years old. He gave me some advice, which changed my life. So I think about all these great mentors and the lessons. It's almost like you could, I could write a book one day. A wise man once told me, because there you go, I might be forecasting for 10 years' time. If you see it coming up, listeners, then uh, buy it, will you? It's a brilliant book. There's a great list. I'm really, really fortunate to have these great people in my life. What was the advice you gave you that changed your life? I can't not follow up with that question. I went to a, another school for year 11 and 12. It was a Aquinas College, which is a great school in Western Australia. And I'd been there about six or eight weeks as a young bloke. I was trying to be one of the cool kids and trying to, because I was trying to fit in and trying to get part of it. And I remember it was the last period of the day and he was also the cricket coach. Rod Omar was the cricket coach of the first 11. He said, oh, Justin, can you stay behind, please? I said, yeah, no worries. When the bell went, so I stayed behind. And he looked me in the eyes. He goes, you are wasting an extraordinary opportunity here. You're trying to be cool. You're trying to, you're hanging out with the wrong kids you don't need to be hanging out with the wrong kids and trying to be cool. 
mate, get focused, get your head in the game, basically. And from it was almost like flicking a switch, like often has happened with all these great mentors in my life. It's almost like, wow, flick a switch. And then from that moment, everything went changed. I really focused on my, my education. I really focused on playing footy and cricket at Aquinas. As it turned out, I went to England for the very first time in year 12, the year after, with a schoolboys team. And that was another incredible stepping stone in my life because it was at that point where I thought, imagine if I could be a professional cricketer one day because I was actually we played, we were there for a month or five weeks and we played 28 games of cricket. And it was like, man, this is, imagine being able to do that for a living. So, because we were watching county cricketers, I didn't even know you could do that. So, right, Omara, just get your head in the game. Don't waste opportunities. You're basically telling me to pull my head in. I've never forgotten that. And I'm always thankful for him for that, for having the courage to give me that advice. Justin, I've got a great quote from you. And it comes from the time you had lunch with the great, one of the great coaches of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson. And you said, I got the impression that he really cared for his people. And I think that's what the great coaches do. If your players know you care for them, they'll run through brick walls for you. So I wanted to ask, what are some of the things that you do to show the people in the team that you care for them? Well, I think it's really interesting because one thing I've learned about coaching and and sometimes with public persona, I guess, is in my case, come across as the tough opening batter and the martial artist and the boxer and and the tough guy, right? But what I've learned actually is that the most powerful form of leadership is showing people love and showing them care and knowing you've got their back. They're very powerful words. You've got their back. And I've said this at the end of my coaching career, not only do I hope to be um, still considering myself as a novice coach, but I'll judge my performance on not necessarily how much silverware I win, but but how many weddings and christenings I get invited to from my players. And people think that might sound a bit strange, but what it means is I've had an impact not only on their cricket, but on their lives. And I look back, we just talked about mentors and what I've learned about those great mentors is they wouldn't have taken the time. And and, and what was most interesting for me, some of those mentors had gave me the toughest advice and they were so honest and so straight with me. And I could have walked away and go, yeah, whatever. Or I go, wow, coming from them. And it, and it changed my life. On so many cases, we could talk about things that have changed my life from mentors. So the point is about the reason they were hard on me or the reason they spent time with me is because they obviously cared about me. Because why else would you do it? And I think that's the same with coaching is that sometimes care comes in different packages. Some comes with a an arm around the shoulder or a hug when things aren't going well. Sometimes it comes with giving them a bit of a clip and getting them back on the right road, like Rod O'Mara and many mentors or friends or coaches have done to me. So it comes in different forms, but as long as you care about them and coming from the advice or the guidance you're giving is coming from a pure place to help them as people, then I don't think you can go wrong, actually. And it was really interesting, mate, because Jose Mourinho that we talked about it before we started this recording is that, you know, in the playbook, and I don't know much about football, but I always thought Mourinho, mate, he's crazy. Like you see him in his press conference and you see the way he behaves and da-da-da, and he comes across so... But, mate, the thing that really stuck out to me from the interview of Mourinho was how much he loved his players. He loved his players. And I think that's really important. I mean, if you, I've always said the reason I'm coaching is to help these young players or young men become great cricketers and, and great people. So if you have, you're really clear what you stand for as the coach. And, and in my case, your hand on heart, that's what I do it for. I love it to help these guys grow into really good young men, as good a cricketers as they become. So from that point, that's where the care factor comes from. The other thing that Alex Ferguson said to me in about the first two minutes of our lunch at his favourite Italian restaurant in Manchester was he said, Justin, remember, truth matters. In other words, I said, what do you mean? He said, always tell the truth. You can't go wrong. Always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Just be honest. And I went, oh, that's my next tattoo. I'm going to put it on my arm. (laughs) Truth. Just tell the truth. Oh, how good is that? Well, you know, talking about mentors early in your career, you were introduced to meditation by the New Zealand cricketer, John Wright, who has now gone on to be a great coach in his own right. And I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about mindset and its impact on performance 
from your deep and ongoing practice of meditation? People often say that sport is all mental. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that performance is a synergy between technique and physicality and talent and the mental side of the game. It's of concentration. We all subscribe to the feeling that elite performance is about concentration, particularly if you've got a work ethic, you've got some talent and you've developed through hours of practice, you've developed a good technique. That doesn't mean what sport it is, it's the same, but concentration is the core, is the essence of great performance. But it was so funny, it was 1993 and I was a young guy, just played for Australia, I was in my fifth test match and I was trying so hard because, you know, I wanted to be an Australian cricketer and I was playing with Alan Border and David Boone and all these legends. Bob Simpson was the coach. And Ashes, 93 Ashes, was being selected a few weeks after this last test in New Zealand. I got a duck in both innings. I was trying so hard. There's another old belief, the harder you try, the worse it gets. You better learn how to let go. But anyway, so we're sitting there after the game and John Wright, who's now a great coach in his own right, he played 100 tests as an opening batsman, tough old opening batter, bit of a hippie righty. And after the game, um, sitting there, and I'm devastated because I've got a duck. I probably won't get picked for the ashes. He can't. He's probably got a cigarette in his hand and a stubby. And he walks up to me and we're talking away. And he goes, I've been watching you, youngster. He said, you're trying a bit too hard. You learn how to relax. He said, and he said, I think you should learn transcendental meditation. I nearly fell off my chair in the change room. Transcendental what? He goes, yeah, transcendental meditation. I think it might help you. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, no worries, whatever, and got back to my stubby. Anyway, about six weeks later, it's amazing how the universe works. I didn't get picked for the ashes, brokenhearted, end of the world. I'll never play for Australia again, all the stuff that happens when you get dropped for the first time. I open up the West Australian newspaper at mum and dad's house. I'm sitting at the table and there's this big advertisement, learn transcendental meditation. So I'm going, righto, someone's talking to me here. So I got on the phone and I rang the guy. I still remember Derek in Smythe Road, Claremont. I rang him up. I said, oh, I'd like to learn transcendental meditation. He goes, no problem. Come down. And I've been meditating every single day since. So this morning, you can see my beads here. I've got my, I mean, you, you can't see them because we're on a recording, but I've got my meditation beads. I've got my app and I meditate every day. And it's been incredibly powerful for me. I'd recommend it to anyone. Help me a lot with my concentration as a player. I think it helps me a lot with my staying grounded and my mindset as a coach and a dad and a person. So it was a great bit of advice from John Wright, and I'm thankful for that as well. Justin, the values of the Australian cricket team are honesty, professionalism, humility, learning, and mateship. Now, it's mm. the last one on this list. I think that's very unique to Australians and I guess our national identity. Could you describe what mateship means to you and why it's so important in the concept of the cricket team? Always, I've always said as a player that the camaraderie within a group is like the glue that keeps everything together, particularly when the pressure comes on. And I describe it a bit like if you're in a schoolyard with your brother and he gets in a punch-up, you're going. You're looking after your little brother, right, or your big brother. No matter what, you are, or your best mate in the school, you are – you're all in to look after your brother. But if it's someone, yeah, he's not a bad bloke or you might sort of help him out a bit, but you're not all in. So that's where mateship is so important. And I say to this day, the guys I played with in a, in a great Australian cricket team, Ricky Ponting, Matthew Hayden, Glenn McGrath, Steve Waugh, Damien Martin, the list goes, they are literally like Adam Gilchrist, they are literally like my brothers today. They are my brothers. and I. I love them so much. And, and so therefore, I used to say to people, imagine going to work every day with your best mates and you're walking out at the MCG in front of 80,000 people with your best mates to take on the poms or take up, mate, how good is that? So, but it was real and it wasn't fake. It was it was just real. And that's why I think mateship. And, and when I first got the job with the Australian team, the first year we went to England and we took the boys to the Western Front extraordinary experience and then the year after on the way to the world cup and then the ashes in england we took them to gallipoli and it was just so powerful i mean it was just such a sobering and humbling experience and what all the stories we kept hearing not only about the respect the turks had for australians and in belgium and france the respect they had for australians and the way we fought and the way we helped but the other stories i kept coming up was this spirit of mateship 
and how they looked after each other. And you know, that's something that we I've always thought about as being an Australian. And it's it's something I hope we never ever lose. That whole feeling that it helps in life, but and it helps certainly in a sporting team. And on the flip side of that, if you get cracks in that, you quickly get exposed. And we've got some real challenges, or we've had some challenges in the Australian team, which we're working through all the time because of what happened in Cape Town three years ago. Relationships were tested and have been tested. So we're working through that and we'll become a great team. That The closer our players become to each other and the greater the level of camaraderie and friendship and trust, the better a cricket team will be and the more they'll enjoy it because you're getting in a punch-up with your little brothers which or your big brother in the schoolyard, which is can be fun because you know you're earning respect and you've got love for each other. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You actually, it's such an ethical challenge as a leader, it's, and it was so public. And afterwards, you had to reintegrate players back into the team. Mm. Now, I imagine this must have been something you had to do with great care and it would have been very difficult. What did that process of reintegrating them teach you? What are the lessons that have stayed with you that could be applicable to all of us that are in getting ethically challenged every day? At the time, we had uh, Belinda Clark was the high performance manager, outstanding person. You've got to interview her at some point. She is just a legend. I love her. But at the time that we were talking about, and we got a, we brought in a guy, a consultant, Tim Ford, a corporate consultant, outstanding guy. He's just done some work with us at the Gold Coast on the way to St. Lucia, just to keep, when you talk about developing environments and developing cultures, you can't just put a few fancy words up on the wall or fa- and say, oh, yeah, we've got a good culture now. No, no, this it's, it is relentless. And, and that's the toughest, most tiring thing as the leader. It is relentless. You've got to be on behaviors every single day otherwise the culture changes or the environment changes very quickly so we go back to the reintegration and Belinda Clark and the some crew at Cricket Australia said we will bring Tim Tim Ford in to reintegrate Steve Smith and Dave Warner back in the team and I'm going oh man like don't worry about it they're just Aussie they'll just come back and looking back on that time I am so thankful I at the time I thought it was overkill but it was worth every single second of it like because Tim Ford, he had all the tough conversations. He had the tough conversations one-on-one with David and Stephen and the bowlers and all these different groups who were involved, and that went on. And then when the boys finally came back into the team in Dubai leading up to the Ashes and the World Cup in England, then it was seamless because all the conversations, ultimately what it comes down to is having honest conversations. I believe that honest conversations fix everything in the world. But it's bloody hard to have honest conversations because people don't like confrontation. People don't like often hearing the truth, but honest conversations can fix everything. But you've got to have the courage, one, to have them, but two, to develop a safe environment where you can have them. That's what Tim Ford allowed us to do. So was it at the time I thought it was overkill? No way. It's worth every single second of effort. And again, most interesting for me is that these don't, we had the conversations back then, but scars, you know, scars, you've got to keep putting ointment on scars, right? Otherwise, it just there's a scar. So you've always got to keep working away and chipping away because there's always little triggers that keep coming up that bring back memories of the past. So the world we live in, and we see it, you've got to be on this all the time. You've got to be having these conversations all the time to just make sure that you're all moving in the right direction together. Otherwise, little triggers 
have the, have a way of opening up these and then like feathers, isn't it? <laughs> it goes all around. Yeah, it's hard to stop when you if you're not on top of it all the time. So if a team was out there now and they were trying to recover from a breach of culture, and it could be any team, a sports team, a community group, corporate team, and they want to get back to being high performing in the sense of there's safety that where people can have these honest conversations where they can confront each other in a safe environment, where they can depend on each other, all, all the elements we read about. But what would you say to them are the one or two things? You've talked about caring for the scar tissue. You've talked about honest conversations. Is there anything else that you would advise people to do? Yes, get great leaders, great leadership. It doesn't matter whether it's in a sporting team, a family, an office, a business, great leadership. Leadership is the essence of all this working. And what great leaders do, one, is they're very, very, very clear on the path the team or the family or is taking. They know what they don't compromise on. I would say, and, and it's an exercise for anyone listening as well, in, as a leader, you should be able to write on a little napkin exactly what you stand for. You, know, you often hear in business people talk about, you should be able to describe in a couple of sentences what your business is about. When we, before this conversation, I'm so excited about being now because you told me about check and I get it and you go, oh, wow, crystal clear, awesome, right? So you should be able to write on a, on a napkin what you stand. So for in our case, when I first started the job and I was very directive early in the piece, I said, guys, this is what we said. We've now, we're at the bottom, we've hit rock bottom in Australian cricket. So jump on or not. But this is what we stand. We're gonna, we've got to earn back respect. And then that turned into we're still earning respect, but make Australians proud. I've said those three words nearly every day for three years. So make Australians, and you can put it either way, make Australians out by and earn back respect from the rest of the world. We're gonna develop you as a great cricketer and a great person. And we're gonna live by these five values. They're not my values, they are values that I've learned in 25 years of being involved in Australian cricket professionalism because I've never met anyone who's great in sport who is an elite professional. We're going to have honesty and we're going to have honest conversations and they're hard. They're bloody hard. I still get nervous. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a guy later today he's not playing tomorrow and I still get nervous and even though I do it every single day. So they're hard. They're hard and you've got to but honest conversation. And the other thing about honesty is that sometimes whilst being honest to other people is tough, You've got to be meticulously honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself and the man in the mirror and the, your conscience and all this sort of stuff. But so professionalism, honesty, learning, as long as I've been involved in the Australian cricket team, we've had this catch cry. As long as you get up every day looking to get better, you and we can get better. And we used to say that we were winning. We won 16 straight test matches at one point. And we kept saying it, as long as you get up every day looking to get better, we can even get better. And the rest of the world's going, oh, Christ, how, what, better than you are? And, yeah, and that's what we believed in. So that was the third one. Humility, or most of the great champ 98% of the great champions I know are really humble, good people, and that's what gets back to the great people bit because it doesn't, what I've learned in the Australian cricket, we could win every single game, but if we carry on like knobs, Australians don't like us anyway. So you've got, and I believe you can have both. You can have, you can be a great performing team and a very likable team. You can have both. And the last one is that concept of mateship. We're going to do this together. We, not me. We've got to be doing this all together. So that's on a table nap. You know, I could write down on an iPhone. That's how. So I, you go back to in what do the great leaders do? And I'm not suggesting I'm a great leader. What I've learned is they know what they stand for. You must know what you're saying. You've got to be yourself, but you've got to know what you stand for. Because if you don't know what you stand for and you don't know the direction, how are you going to lead anything? You're not a leader, are you? So I'd say that's the number one. And then and then doing it every single day, leading by example. There's an old saying, Paul, if you preach excellence and walk mediocrity, you're nothing but a common liar. In other words, anyone can talk a good game, but you've actually got to walk it. Great leaders walk the talk and they get their players, they get their people around them. And it takes time, but that's what I'd say is in crisis time, that would be, I guess, my greatest learning. 
It's interesting listening to you. You talk about high care earlier on, and now you talk about high challenge. And it seems to me like you found just a really a workable balance. But I want to build on that slightly differently, actually, because if I have a bad day at work, no one really knows about it. Maybe my boss sees it every now and again. But your evolution as a leader was recorded, edited, and broadcast. (laughs) And it's compulsive viewing, particularly if you're stuck in Czech Republic at Christmas where it's minus 15. But mm-hmm. in that series, the test, something happens to you about a third of the way in your style changes dramatically and it's very visible. Was that change or that evolution, I think it's probably a better word, was it based on something specific that happened or some feedback that you were given? It's interesting. I've never had anyone comment on that before. I've had lots of people comment, no, 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 not at all. So it's just an interesting observation. I think you've always evolving and the truth is, the first six months of that job was just, it was tough. It was, I'd say it was, a, it was easily the toughest six months of my life, or certainly professionally, because I came in when we'd hit rock bottom with what happened in South Africa, the, the chairman, the CEO, the head coach, the high-performance manager, the captain, the vice captain, who happened to be our best players. They weren't there. The whole world was looking to smack us. And I'd come in from outside, so I hadn't had anything to do with what happened in South Africa. But, mate, it was, it was relentless. And, and we went to England, got beaten 5-0 by the Poms in a one-day series. And then we lost in uh, Dubai. And so not only are we getting smashed by the whole world, but we're then, and we're losing as well. And, oh, man, it was hard. It was a very, very, very tough period in my life. In fact, it got to the point, and I've said this a few times publicly, that we played India. I think this is probably what you're referring to, actually. We played the fourth test and we got beaten by India at the MCG. And then, so all of a sudden, where India had gone 2-1 up in, and India have never, ever beaten Australia, in Australia, never. So we're under the pump. And then we got to Sydney for the last test match and my wife and kids were over in Sydney and we're sitting at the breakfast table and it was day four of the test match and Sue and the girls were flying back to Perth that morning we're at the breakfast table and my wife starts crying at the breakfast table. And I went, mate, what's going on? And I've known my wife since I'm 14 years old. So she's lived through this. She's tough as it comes when it comes to this business. Very private but tough because that's all we've known. And she's crying in front of the girls. I go, babe, what's going on? She goes, oh, I don't like what this job's doing to you. I don't like what it's doing to us. I don't like what people are saying about you and the Australian cricket team. They don't even know who you are, da, da, da. And it was really affecting her. And I guess that was a point where I went, wow, okay, I have to make a few little changes here because I was I was exhausted. I was taking it all personally. I was, And it's hard, mate. It's really, really. And that's one of the, I guess, the sacrifices or the challenges of leadership. If you've got to be strong, but you've also got to, well, in that case, you got to have good people around like we've talked about, but it was really, really hard. But that was that moment when Sue's sitting at the table in front of the girls crying. I'm going, okay, got to make some changes here. And you have to – look, and it happened, to be completely honest with you, it happened a couple of months ago. We got beaten by India again in Australia, and it was two weeks after the series, and a journalist rang me and he goes, um, Justin, I'd like to talk to you about – your relationships with your players. I said, yeah, great. No worries. He rang him back. It was a Friday afternoon. He goes, oh, this is a tough conversation. I said, what do you mean? And he said, um, oh, well, I'm hearing whispers that you've lost the dressing room and you're this and that. You're too intense and you're too... And I went, what? And then, like the world we live in, this has just spread like wildfire. And whether it's truth or not, and it's all through Australia, so all of a sudden I am getting smashed and it hurts because you, you've been spend a long time building your reputation. And, and the irony was in that period where all these articles about how I've lost the change room and the players know this and you're too intense, literally I'd, in that period I was just gone to three of our players' weddings. So in the last few months I've just been to three of our players' weddings in a month, right? And the world's telling me that I'm too intense and you're getting smashed. So, again, you've got to go, okay, no worries, if that's what the – the word on the street. So we addressed it when we got back together in the Gold Coast. The point is you're always evolving. You're always, you've got to keep an eye on, you have a barometer on on what's happening within the group. You've got to understand whether 
how the media works because that can tear you apart if you let it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always evolving and it's hard. Paul, it is hard, mate. And you've got to, but, and I know I'm talking a lot here, sorry about that. But one thing I have also learned is that being a dad of four daughters has helped me to, in being a head coach for a couple of reasons. One is that all my kids are different. They come from the same place, same upbringing. They're all so different. So all my players are going to be different. So you're going to treat them all differently. But the other thing is that we talk about evolution and evolving all the time. I don't treat my 24-year-old daughter when she was 18 or 16 or 12 or 4. You, you evolve, right? To, and that's what happens. That You've got to adapt. You've got to evolve as a leader. I think that's important advice as well. I wanted to talk to you about the the four girls actually, because there's a quote, and I want to just pick up on this. He said, um, if you want to have a blanket rule as a coach or a parent, you can. It's easy. It doesn't work. No. <laughs> you've got four kids, four girls. You've coached the Australian cricket team and you've had exposure to so many other good and bad coaches around the world. So how do you handle though the inconsistency in decision making that can come when you're being flexible with the rules? Well, yeah, it's uh... You're flexible with personalities. I'm not sure you're flexible with the rules, if that makes any sense. I mean, you've got to treat people different. I mean, we've got, we got some personalities in this team. My gosh, you know, we've got little Zamps, who's a little hippie, lives in Byron Bay. We've got, we've got some serious guys. We've got some fun guys. They're all different. but And there's also different. It's almost like you join the Platinum Club. There's guys who have become great players I don't care what anyone says. You treat them different. They've earned the right to be treated differently than a kid who's just coming into the team for the first time. So you set up an environment where people, the most important thing, and Adam Zampa interestingly said, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, a few weeks ago before we got to St. Louis, he said, JL, the thing I love most about this team now is we're allowed to be ourselves. We can be ourselves, And, again, that's creating that environment where you can be yourself. And I think... I've had two benefits I've got as a coach. One is I'm a dad, like I just said, so you treat your daughters differently. So I've got, of course I want to treat my players differently because they're all different, right? The second thing as a coach is I've lived in their shoes because I was a player and I there's nothing really that's going to happen in their lives, their professional lives that I haven't seen one way or the other. So that helps me because I've got empathy. I've got empathy and compassion for, and the day I forget how hard the game, and this is what happens to a lot of commentators. I know it's the business or a lot of the media, they forget how hard the game is. It's so flipping hard. Like, and the day I forget how hard it is, that's the day I've got to walk away because then, then I'm not treating the, the players with empathy and respect and compassion, knowing how hard not only performing is, but also being on the road. 250 days a year or 300 days, all that sort of stuff. So I think those things help me as a coach. You've authored five books. And in the intro, we talked about the sixth one coming, what great coaches do differently. And maybe the seventh one about mentors. Yeah, I've got a few actually, I reckon, coming up. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get some time when the Australian job's over and the distant, there's an ashes to retain at first. But when your uh, daughters come to you, and it's probably not far away, it maybe already happened because they're going to be moving into management positions. They're going to be moving into leadership positions. When they come to you and they ask for advice and you've got to put it on that napkin, what are you going to tell them? I think it was my first book, a book called Seeing the Sunrise. I actually wrote the last chapter as an ode to my kids. I laugh for about what other books I've got covered, but it's called An Ode to My Kids and what I'd, the advice I'd given. There's a whole lot of stuff in there. But if my eldest daughter, there's a couple of things I'd say to her. Is one, work ethic, guys, and it's really interesting the world we live in now, isn't it? I mean, there's an old mate of mine who's in the SAS and he said, JL, remember, most people can live the dream. Not many people can live the reality. In other words, a lot of people want the green beret and be an SAS soldier or a lot of people want a baggy green cap and be play for Australia. A lot of people want to drive a Mercedes Benz or live in a mansion or a lot of people want that. Or they want to be the CEO or they want to be the head coach. They want to be the captain. A lot of people, you can dream that. That's easy to dream about. But, man, when it comes to reality, we got to work for it. And in the world we currently live in, I don't think people, it's almost a dying, dying philosophy. You've actually got to work for shit. So you got to work. With it. And this is going to be the dumbest thing you've probably ever heard. But my little girl, my 15-year-old daughter, Gracie, she plays netball. Loves it. And she's a really good netballer. And she said to me a few weeks ago before I come away, Daddy, I just want to do a bit of running because I want to get fit because I want to be an even better netballer. I'm going, awesome, darling. Let's go. Let's, yeah, that'd be great. Beautiful. 
She goes, okay, can we just try doing two-kilometer run? I said, yeah, we'll go for a two-kilometer run. No worries, Joe, let's go. And just before that, she goes, oh, Dad, and the other thing, I've got to do it in seven minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, darling? She goes, no, no, I've been told I should be able to do two kilometers in seven minutes, 30. Now, remember, our elite athletes are doing it. That's our cutoff for our men's cricket team. Like, you want to do anything under. But she And, she, and then I go, darling, it'll probably take 30. No, no, no. No, 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 because on social media or her mates are saying, no, no, seven minutes, 30, right? But it's a fairy tale. It's not It's not real. So then what happens is she does it and we do, I don't know, 13 minutes or we do a little jog and she walks a few times because she's tired. She hasn't run two commas in her life, right? And then she thinks she's failed. So then what can happen? Unless you keep encouraging her or she keeps going, I want to get better and I want to work at it. She'll just, she'll quit. She won't do it anymore because she thinks she's failed. And she'll tell the kids at school and they'll go, have never done a 2K run in their life. They're going, oh, yeah, well, you mustn't be. Because the point is you've got to work. If I tell my kids that you've got to have a work ethic, you've got to, you've got to work, you've got to work. You've also, and it's almost a rubbish cliche now, but you've got to find some balance in your life, kids, because it can't just be about work. But you've got to work. And you've got the other thing, the biggest advice I give to my kids I have, J-B-N, and they know what that means, just be nice. Be a nice person. It is amazing how far you get in life by just being a nice person. Work hard, be a nice person, okay? Can't be that simple, Dad. No, no, you know, life's complex, but if you live by those two things, set your goals. It's really powerful writing down goals, but work hard, be a nice person, set some goals and have a crack. You've been so generous with your time today. I'm going to ask one last question. Maybe it's too difficult to answer. I don't know, but I'll throw it out there anyway. In the next 15, 20 years, when you do hang up the whistle and you're all finished, what's the legacy that you hope you've left as a coach? Well, there's a great, when we talk about leadership, if I could sum it up in this, is what I've learned is the origin of the word leadership comes from leading the ship. Now, Australia was discovered by the ships, right? So way back, it was about leading the ship to the shore. So, And what I've learned from leading the ship is the captain of the ship really needs to come out three times. First time is when there's a crisis or when the iceberg presents. Think about the Titanic. When the iceberg presents, if you are not on top of your game and you have got everything right, guess what? People die. Because you hit the iceberg and the ship sinks and people die, right? So in the case of Australian cricket, no one died. We put sandpaper on the ball in Cape Town. But a lot of people were affected. The whole, All of Australia was affected, let alone the people in leadership positions. They were affected and they were suspended or are no longer within the Australian cricket team. So the captain of the ship, number one, has to come out in the toughest of times when the iceberg presents. The second time the captain of the ship needs to come out is when there's stormy waters and you've got to use all your skill to get through the stormy waters to get to the next destination. And we have storm, life is stormy waters, right? So whether it's COVID, whether it's losing, win, loss, whether it's, you know, things are going on all the time, whether it's um, expectation, stormy waters, is when the captain of the ship needs to come out. Because when it's all flat, it's okay. You know, you can just get to the next destination. So the captainship needs to come out in stormy waters. And we've seen this, my gosh, through this COVID period in the last three years. So first it was the crisis. Second, COVID, which has put all sorts of new challenges to the world and, and, and no different to our business, the cricket world. The third time the captain of the ship needs to come out is when there's mutiny on deck. And we've seen that. And you see that. And... Whenever I'm talking publicly to people, I ask this question, whatever their business is, you know, I talk to corporates around, I said, if I was to ask you what the toughest part of your job is, I wonder what you'd say. And they're sort of looking at me funny and I go, if I said the toughest part of your job is dealing with people, and as soon as I say that, you can see them all going, oh, yeah, they're almost putting their hands on there and they're all nodding their head going, yeah, dealing with people right? when there's mutiny on deck. So... The toughest part of leadership is dealing with people. And the things we've talked about today, Paul, love, compassion, at times discipline, whatever it is, 
but you must deal with people. So at the end of it, what would my legacy be? I'd say, hopefully people say, when it was really tough, Justin stood up. When there was stormy waters and despite all the pressures, he stood up and his people invite him to weddings and christenings because he showed him care and compassion. And there was times where he had to be strong with his people. He's respected by his people. That, that would hopefully be the legacy I'd leave. And I hope we win a few Ashes and World Cups. <laughs> Justin Langer, what a privilege. A highlight for me to spend an hour with you today, listening to your thoughts on leadership. All the best for the road ahead. And I can't wait to watch that Australian team retain the Ashes. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the invitation again, mate. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here. and You have been listening to the great coach, Justin Langer. Some of the key highlights of this interview for me were his belief that the most powerful form of leadership is showing people love and care, and how he thinks Jose Mourinho is a good example of this. How performance is a synergy between technique, physicality, and concentration, and how the focus on team culture is relentless, and in fact, is the most tiring aspect of leadership, and the story he shares of how they rebuilt the Australian team culture after the team was caught tampering with the ball in a match against South Africa. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has some timeless lessons on leadership to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.